Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the first of a four-part series entitled Our World Cup Lives, which sees 9320 contributors pick out five memorable, meaningful World Cup games from their lifetime and how they corresponded with events closer to home. Joining us today is Joe Green, Manchester born and bred, a lifelong blue and an England fan. But as we'll discover, not all of the international games that shaped him involved the Three Lions. Hi Joe, you well? You there? Hi, I am indeed. I'm well, thank you. How are you? You good? I'm good, but do I sound quite croaky today? Uh, it's a little undercurrent of croakiness. <laughs> yeah, it's just a touch of, uh, I can't shift this cold that's going around, but I'm all good, mate, and Wales are playing in two hours' time in a must-win game in the World Cup, so certainly can't complain. Listen, mate, when they start belting that national anthem, oh, I'm sure it'll all clear yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no nation does it better. Yeah, well, that is something we all win at every four years. Alas, yeah. goals matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into the, your five games um, mm. from across your lifetime, um, how, how are you enjoying this tournament? You, you spoke off air about how you're struggling just, just this week to kind of balance work with being able to watch some of the games. Yeah, um, I think given um, the most similar kind of tournament I could put down in terms of climate in my lifetime was probably South Africa um, in a way in that it was in a nation that wasn't necessarily known for its, to quote Jose Mourinho, its football heritage. Yeah. Um, and I've really struggled with South Africa 2010. So I don't know if that's like subconsciously, I've gone into it with a slightly prejudiced attitude that it wasn't going to be good from a footballing perspective in terms of the level of football played. But it's actually been decent from when I've caught up on highlights. But mm. purely from watching the games live, I've just not been able to really get away from work and commitments and stuff. But when I have been catching up on the highlights, I mean, obviously there's been the fair share of the odd nil-nil here and there. But... Um, there's been a lot of drama as well. Um, not sure how I feel about the whole, you know, 25 minutes of added time every game. No, we're coming tiresome already, that, to be honest. Yeah, but, um, yeah, there's been some some great games of football played, so a lesson for me, I think. Can you, I can't recall, when were the games played when it was in South Africa? Was it kind of roughly the same? Yeah, it's a bit later, wasn't it? I think it was more from memory. Um a bit later in the day. I think it was like two yeah. o'clock kickoffs and stuff like that. Yes, I remember the England uh, Germany game quite well. I remember that being about two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so it wasn't too bad, but it was just like I'm. I'm not blaming it purely on the on the on the climate of the country, but I just remember the whole Vuvuzelas and the um, the, yeah, the Jubilani yeah. ball, and it, it just seemed a, a fiasco in terms of. <laughs> I remember the pitches being terrible. That might be wrong, but for some reason, I remember them being very dry and. Yeah. Teams who tried to get the ball down struggling, although Spain obviously did go on and win that tournament, didn't they? But yeah, it was. Yeah, it they scored. The um, I might be wrong here, but I, I, this is one of those stats I just kind of briefly saw on Twitter, so I may be wrong. But I think Spain have already outscored their 2010 equivalents by beating um, Costa Rica 7 0 the other night. <laughs> that I, doesn't I, surprise I, me. I think, I think they actually won in 2010 by scoring six goals, which is remarkable but it wasn't about scoring with them was it it was just about dominance and control and uh, it was an absolutely fabulous team uh, and it was like something we'd never seen before as well which was 
you know, thank goodness for them, basically. And, and the culture clash between them and Holland, because that final was, you know, chalk and cheese, wasn't it? But overall, it's not my favourite tournament 2010, I have to say. No, the great irony in that tournament was that Spain had a bit... A- essentially adopted the evolution of Renus Michaels and, and Johan Cruyff's mm. total football and Holland had morphed into a Sam Allardyce yeah. <laughs> you know, back five and <clears throat> our wonderful Dutch destroyer in midfield kicking people in I the I was going to say, as epitomised <laughs> by that challenge which was quite yeah. remarkable it really was, I mean, one of the games you've chosen uh, has a similar instant really, as regards to just one of those acts of violence with Comes out of nowhere and astonishes, but um, it, was yeah. it, he's only booked, wasn't he, De Jong? He, 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 yeah, I should he was say he wouldn't have got away with it in today's game. No, not a chance. Um, okay, going further back, what's the first game, uh, first tournament you vividly recall? So vividly, I'm always like, I think we had a podcast last week. I was telling you about being a kid and, and being obsessed with colour and and things around football. Um, yeah. So, in terms of international football, the thing I remember probably most vividly was the 98 World Cup and the French trickle or and the, the blue, white and the red. And um, <clears throat> if you remember the, um, the the mascot, it was like, um, yes. it was like a yeah. chicken, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Cockerel, yeah. Yeah, yeah the cock- chicken, what am I talking about? <laughs> um, <clears throat> cockerel, um, with his foot on the ball, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, I remember that. But in terms of the actual football... Um, it would have to be the World Cup in South Korea and Japan. Mm. I, I was much later to getting into international football than than um, club football. I remember Euro 2000. That was my first proper international tournament. But from um, a World Cup perspective, it was definitely 2002. And that was indeed a game, uh, sorry, a tournament where games were held at odd times, about half eight in the morning, I think, were a couple of them. Um, so let's get into your first game then which is actually at 2002 World Cup um, England have progressed I can't I look back on this I can't recall a single thing about their group <laughs> game or indeed their 3-0 win over uh, Denmark in the last 16 I can't even remember that to save my life three goals in the first half sounds pretty exciting um, yeah. the only thing what kind of jumps out from the games leading up to their quarter final with Brazil was the Beckham penalty against Argentina Um so how old are you at this point in 2002? Uh, just to make you feel old, I've probably <laughs> just turned 10. So you've just turned 10. Um, obviously a City fan already? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Your thoughts then? for Costa Rica because of Paolo Wanchok. <laughs> Sunji Sun High at China, they were the only two there. Think, oh no, Nicholas Jensen was at Denmark. I say you're seeing the, the City connection Amazing. from my memory. Uh, yeah. Nicholas Jensen was at Denmark who England battered as you just pointed out so that was it how how's your thoughts to, and we're going to return to this later on as well how's your thoughts towards United players then in the England setup, or indeed maybe Liverpool players too um, uh, is there any confliction there at that point because I have to say when I was about 10 it was a case of you know if I was supporting Wales I was supporting Wales whether it was Ryan Giggs was in the team or not Um was that the same with you? Were you cheering on Beckham, for example? Were you were you delighted when he scored that penalty? Yeah. So, so in terms of like Liverpool players, that was a non-entity. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know, like Michael Owen. I remember in the two thousand one FA Cup final and stuff like that. He was like one of the the superstar players, if you will, of my childhood. 
Um, so, yeah, oh, God, he was in our team. Uh, United players, I was just drummed into me that they were dirty. Portugal's <laughs> couldn't tackle. Um, but from from an England perspective, I remember Beckham was kind of like untouched after that Greece moment. Yeah. That's kind of my first clearing little moment. Uh, so I kind of, he had a pass from that point forward. Um, and he always, out of that, you know, inverted quotes, whatever, golden generation, that delivered nothing. Yeah. Um, he was like the one who actually did show up and perform uh, yeah. from memory. So, um, yeah, I remember like, not like, you know, it's too strong. I remember fully supporting Beckham and Beckham yeah. Mania. But um, to be honest, the rest of the United lads were not entities like m- much of the uh, of that era of England team. Well, that's quite an interesting era, 2002, because it's just prior to the golden generation. So you, you do have your Beckhams in there, etc. But I, I believe Gerald must have been injured for this competition. But um, elsewhere, there's a lot of Danny Mills's, there's a lot of Trevor Sinclair's. Um, yeah. You know, Rooney hasn't broke through at this point. Lampard hasn't broke through. Um, so we're still some way off. When you look back at that kind of team, 2002, prior to, to it being, becoming a golden generation, I mean, there's still good players in there, Rio Ferdinand's in there at the back, but I can remember not really fancying them against Brazil. Um, when you're 10 years old, you have a different kind of framework, don't you? you we, did you believe that this could be it for England, that it could go all the way? Um, it's hard to explain because I, I never really looked at, like, as a young kid... Um, in terms of actually winning the tournament, I was just like swept up in the whole World Cup mania and, yes, and the whole yes, everything around yeah. it. And it, it was um, Brazil were just seen by me, especially at that time. Most of the Ballon d'Or winners around my youth had been like Rivaldo, Ronaldo. Uh, obviously, we knew Ronaldinho was was bursting mm. through. Um, so to me. Brazil were like on another level subconsciously yeah. because of these superstar players and I always associated if you had players at Barcelona and Real Madrid then they must be amazing like on another mm. level or most of that Brazil team seemed to be at those two clubs so um, I remember we cleared the assembly hall at school and we were allowed to watch the game right? Um, and going into it which I'm sure you're going to ask me questions about. Um, but when it came down to it, the actual game itself, it was like best endeavours, really. What will be, will be. Mm. Can, I, can I just ask about that, Joe? Because I've never encountered that when I was in school. That must be... So are you talking about the whole school here? Are you talking about just your year? And are you able to kind of... I, I, I can't imagine kids kind of focusing on 90 minutes of football, even if they're well into football when they're surrounded by their mates and, you know, kind of in a school hall, were you able to kind of watch the game properly? Um, obviously, the attention spans weren't the best, and <laughs> no. probably the understanding of the actual game, but I remember, um, I think it was the two oldest years in the school right. uh, were allowed to essentially watch the game, and we all watched it, and I think England took the lead. So obviously that caught all our attention, and it was, um, you know, we were, we were going to go on and win the game at that point, weren't we? As young kids. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it I turn out that way. Again, I completely forgot about Owen's goal. Um, it was a Lucio mistake and, and Owen basically pounced in a typical Owen goal. And um, I believe it was just before half-time that Brazil equalised. Um, 
Ronaldinho kind of just running through the heart of England with uh, defence, past yeah. squaring it to, to Rivaldo. And then comes the, the big incident, really. Um, the Just one of the most incredible goals in World Cup history. Uh, yeah. Ronaldinho, 45 yards out, or whatever it may be, um, looping over Seaman. Um, let's just get straight into it. He meant it, didn't he? I think when you look at what he went to achieve in his career, yeah, yeah. you have to say yes. Uh, I mean, he's one of the most technically gifted footballers to ever play the game. Obviously, clearly capable of that. So, at the time, there was a lot of um, did he, didn't he? But it's like the Bergkamp goal, isn't it, at Newcastle? Yeah. People say, did he mean that? I mean, when you look at what these players are in the locker, you have to say yes, don't you? Give them the benefit. Especially yeah. when they're like Ballon d'Or winners and literally the peak of the profession. Well, I mean, because yeah. you can look at it from the opposing point of view, and that's equally as conclusive, where you cannot imagine a player of his standing cocking it up to that degree <laughs> and actually attempting the cross and it, it going in at that angle. Um, yeah, that's a good point. No, it like that. Absolutely no question in my mind that it was meant. Um, and and his, his, the position of his foot as well, it was, everything about it was just unusual and a, and a little act of genius from a little genius. Um can any blame be attributed to Seaman? I mean, I, I've got the benefit of, you know, I, I just watched the video just before we came on air. I think there's a lot of blame should be attributed to Seaman. And given the fact that he wasn't really averse to um, to being kind of, you know, lobbed from long distance. Clearly yeah, that's, yeah that, clearly that's a failing on his part, isn't it? That was just... I think it's one of them. I mean, you have to basically... In order to execute that, be as I've just said, from the distance it was at the top of your profession. I'm not excusing Seaman's positioning completely, but I think in 90 to 95% of scenarios, whether he was playing for Arsenal or he was playing for England, he can come off his line and organise his defence to that degree, safe with the knowledge that the opposition aren't going to chip him from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but, to take your point, you've also got to bear in mind you play in Brazil, who if there's yeah. one team who are going to have footballers <laughs> capable of doing something like that, it's going to be them. But I just think muscle memory and subconsciously, it's probably not even coming to his mind. Uh, yeah. And he's just organising his defence and then he's realised shit as uh, <laughs> as it's too oh, late for him to recuperate. Awful feeling seeing that looping towards you. And I should say as well, in that video, you had um, some England fans talking before the game and, and one said, you know, Brazil are unbelievable. Uh, this is going to be such a tough game, but we do have some world-class players ourselves. We have Beckham, we have Seaman. And I thought, that's interesting that he named Seaman second. So, you know, you kind of forget how good a keeper David Seaman was, I guess. Um, yeah. Just before we move on to the next game, that Brazilian side, front three, you've already mentioned them. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. The price is a mere £4 a month with discounts on 6 or 12 month subscriptions. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.